Welcome to the Indivisible Chicago Progressive Mayoral Forum. So glad to see you all here. I think we were on the right track when we thought it was time for us to speak among ourselves, right? You know, political cynics like myself and some of you out there probably have come to understand the timing of uh, Chicago's mayoral race to be purposeful, right? It's held on an off election year. There's no major state or national election. It's held at an off time of year in the dead of winter. Um, and for all of you braving this weather today, thank you. It's uh, old school voter suppression, right? It's gotten a lot more sophisticated in uh, southern, southern states, but up here in Illinois, this is how we do it. It was conceived at a time when political machines could turn out the votes and progressive change makers most likely could not. Well, hey, Chicago machine, hold my beer because there's no doubt that our progressive movement is much stronger now than it's ever been, thanks to so many of you here who have been working with us. And it's a whole new ball game. A whole new ball game was, la was launched last time around when the runoff structure gave Lori Lightfoot her win in a very crowded field. So it's no wonder more voters chose, choose undecided right now more than any single candidate. And here on our left side of the spectrum, it's relatively easy to say who we don't want to support. Um, we don't want to support a combative and unpopular incumbent, um, a challenger who may or may not be a Republican, and may or may not actually live in the city, and, and well, there are others. There's almost an embarrassment of riches for us with so many candidates promoting various progressive values and ideas but who is it who truly aligns with our values overall, also has the experience to implement change, and can make it to the runoff and ultimately to the fifth floor? Therein lies the progressive conundrum and the reason why we're having this forum tonight. We're here at the Hideout Inn to welcome three of the candidates to this progressive mayoral Candidates Forum, sponsored by Indivisible Chicago Alliance, the Blue Beginning Indivisible Chapter, the Hideout, and WCPT AM 820. I'm Marge Halperin. And I'm Tom Moss. So how did we decide who would be on the bill tonight? So just like most of you, the Indivisible Chicago leadership team has been in continual conversation about our choices. And continually, three names kept rising to the top, and so that's who invited tonight who will join us. So in the order that they have agreed upon, we're, we'll be welcoming Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia, County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, and State Representative Cam Button. So here's the format. Don't know about you, but we have been getting pretty tired of all the fireworks and the bickering that you're seeing in those standard forums where everyone is lined up at their own podium on stage, uh, the everyone at once formula, let's say. So we are opting for individual 30-minute interviews with each candidate, or let's say conversations, to make it a little to, to take it down low. So we prepared some questions. We also distributed cards uh, that you have here in the audience so you can contribute more questions. Um, you'll see that you have three cards on your chairs. The white cards are for your questions. When you have it, give it a little wave and um, Peg will pick them up for you and uh, bring them up to us. And you also have red and green cards. So here's what we wanna do. 
we implore you to please not interrupt with clapping or booing or other kinds of shouts when the candidates are speaking. They have 30 minutes, only 30 minutes each, so we want to make the most of their time and yours for the conversation. But when you hear something you like, raise your green, green, blue card and show us uh, that you like what you heard. If you don't like what you heard, raise the red, pink card. So we'll see, the candidate will see, and we'll see, and we'll be able to, for the radio audience, we'll uh, comment when we see the cards being raised, um, and your fellow observers will be able to see them too. So let's use the cards to express ourselves and otherwise um, refrain from those kinds of outbursts. At the very end, we'll come back to you to recap also to get your points of view more verbally. Um, so we want refrain from those kinds of outbursts. At the very end, we'll come back to you to recap also to get your points of view more verbally. Um, so we wanted to start with a few questions for you here in the audience. And this time, you can indicate your response with applause. We will have a radio audience, um, so we want to be sure people can hear what you have to say. So before we have any conversation with the candidates, we want to know who among you has definitely made up your mind as to who you're going to vote for or have already voted for. This time you can clap, please, to tell us. <laughs> Cards to express ourselves and otherwise um, refrain from those kinds of outbursts. At the very end, we'll come back to you to recap also to get your points of view more verbally. Um, so we wanted to start with a few questions for you here in the audience. And this time, you can indicate your response with applause. We will have a radio audience, um, so we want to be sure people can hear what you have to say. So before we have any conversation with the candidates, we want to know who among you has definitely made up your mind as to who you're going to vote for or have already voted for. This time, you can clap, please, to tell us. Who is undecided? About even. About even. Who among the undecided feels persuadable, or among any of you, I should say, based on what you might hear tonight? Do you think you could change your mind? Ah, that was, a, to my ear, pretty much the loudest, which is really interesting, and again, why we're here. Yep. Uh, the candidates will be glad to hear that as well. Uh, okay, so I think that helps illustrate why we're all here. So let's get down to business. First up, and I'll invite the congressman who I understand is here to, who is right here. Uh, make it, um, just if you come up this way, please. Uh, Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia has been a fixture in Chicago communities and politics for many years and has lived in Little Village for most of his life. Over the decades, he led a hunger strike for a new school serving Little Village in North Lawndale. He co-founded the Pilsen Community Development Group Enlace and mobilized the Latinx vote for Mayor Harold Washington. Garcia has served in the City Council, the Cook County Board, the State Senate, and as Congressman in Illinois' 4th District since 2018. There, he's helped pass bills to fund carbon monoxide detectors in public housing, protect working people from predatory lenders, and continues to work for the passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. He backed Lori Lightfoot in 2019, a decision he now says he regrets. Congressman, welcome. 
Great you, to join you. Uh, great to be here. Yep. You. you are allowed to here. applaud. At first. You did get some green cards flashing uh, just at the sound of your name. So there you go. You got some supporters in the audience already. Accurate (laughs) broadcast. Thank you. So we want to ask you a question we're pretty sure no one else is going to ask you at another forum, which is you are here with us as a progressive candidate. What do you mean when you say you're a progressive candidate? To me, uh, being a progressive and rooted in Chicago uh, history and uh, politics has been fighting the Chicago machine, fighting what was uh, the staple of the machine, uh, racism, uh, corruption, and sexism, the exclusion of uh, women. Those have been the tangible enemies that we have struggled against. We've been for uh, good government, for accountable government. And then, of course, we're pushing progressive policies, everything from uh, increasing workers' rights and the minimum wage to uh, advancing the rights of women and the LGBTQ communities. More recently, we've added, of course, uh, the fight uh, against climate change and uh, to save the earth. Human rights is, of course, another staple. And in the history of our organization, which this year turns 40 years of age, the Independent Political Organization of the 22nd Ward, the longest-running progressive uh, electorally inclined organization, uh, being active in foreign policy uh, against uh, military coups and governments in Central America and the Caribbean, as well as all over the world, happy, proud to say that we participated in the Free South Africa movement, as well as an example of the type of progressivism that we've practiced. So the second half of that question is the one I think everyone is sitting here to listen, because pragmatic progressives want to have someone in the runoff uh, that is aligned with our values. Are you going to make it to the runoff, and what's your path? Uh, I believe I will make it to the runoff. Uh, The path is, I think, without a doubt, uh, a strong current in the Latino community to want to see a Latino mayor. Uh, We've participated in electing uh, other mayors uh, in the past, working in coalition. I think beyond the community, Uh, what I consider a part of uh, my community because of my ideological inclinations is the broader progressive community across Chicagoland. It has grown. It's gotten stronger. Uh, I would say a part of my work with uh, Bernie Sanders and the election of other progressives to city council, to county and countywide offices as well, as to the state legislature, including the election of the second congressperson from uh, the Chicagoland area, are among the things that we've built over that 40-year period. So let's jump to the issues. You want well, to- I just wanted to, to, to ask, so you will make the runoff, as, as you say. I mean, that, that's the plan. That's your plan, anyway. As uh, I win, as I win, more of the undecided. The, the persuadables, tonight, yes. yeah. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to tip it, necessarily. Um, but uh, the, the, one of the questions that we got on a, uh, from the audience was, uh, how, do you, how can you bring the progressives together if you are in the runoff, when you are mayor, yes. and, and perhaps if you're not in the runoff, uh, how will you handle that situation? I've always uh, worked uh, toward uh, unity, 
Uh, in this uh, first uh, round, there are a variety of choices, but I think that my practice as a, a coalition builder is uh, long and uh, uh, consistent over a 40-year uh, period. Uh, you know, no one has fought the machine as long as we have. Uh, I'm the product, my election to the city council uh, was the product of a movement for political empowerment of Latino and African American communities. We have stood for other uh, causes uh, as well. So I truly value that type of coalition building because it's rooted in the fight uh, for voting rights and for enfranchisement and in Chicago fighting against the machine to have representation uh, in uh, City Hall, uh, City Council. Uh, you know, we're also uh, part of the movement that elected Harold Washington that led to the formation of the most representative cabinet in the city's history. I think it was a transformative moment for Chicago and everyone benefited from it, women, African-Americans, Latinos, LGBTQ community, on and on. So our inclination, our thrust has always been to build on the maximum unity, uh, especially our working class orientation and roots in the, the community that held down progressive politics during the culmination of the uh, reconstitution of power in Chicago during the uh, uh, daily era. Uh, we held it down, and because we held it down, now we're experiencing a period of growth, what I like to call a progressive renaissance in Chicago politics. Well, you're going to get some green cards on that. A whole yeah, lot of green, green cards. cards on that. I think we'll move on <laughs> yep. to our issues. Um, we're going to spend some time talking about crime. It's the number one issue in this race, undoubtedly, um, voters no matter who they choose, seem to be driven uh, based on responses. But we want to ask you uh, a couple of questions on this topic, um, maybe slightly different than you have answered in other forums. You and the other progressive candidates have tried to reframe this issue of crime to focus on youth employment, better education, mental health services, equity for communities, all these root causes. But the voters who perceive immediate threat to their homes and their family are nonetheless gravitating to the law and order candidate, voters who might have voted more liberally, progressively in the past. So what is your most effective response to those voters who are like, yeah, but we don't feel safe, so more cops? You have to meet people where they are. Their fear, their misgivings, their bias, their limited sometimes consideration of the circumstances that produce violence and crime, uh, like uh, the pandemic, the lockdown, and everything that it, it, you know, it, it created uh, in people. I think we became, uh, we've been more aggressive uh, since the pandemic. Uh, the uh, civil unrest, the uprising that occurred in Chicago and in cities all over the country, is another factor that one tends to make people more reactive. Uh, people want order. People want you know a return to normalcy. So you have to meet them where they are, but you have to also remind them <clears throat> of history 
And you've got to remind them that the system in Chicago has bred some really bad people, torturers, people who uh, uh, cop, bad cops who terrorize public housing developments, uh, bad cops, detectives who uh, set people up and sent people to jail, wrongfully convicted. And I'm talking about the perfect coalition of horror in the Chicago Police Department, John Burge, mm -hmm. uh, Sergeant Watts, and Detective Guevara. Lots of green People guys. are still coming out of jail, and uh, people who mm -hmm. were innocent, uh, they were set up. Mm -hmm. So you have to share that history and get people to understand that things were way out of whack in one time, and that there, these are still uh, symptoms of a system that went really bad. Uh, and then ha have a conversation with them about why we're seeing the spread of violence and crime across the city and why the uh, issue gets elevated to where it is today. And you have to warn people about the emergence of these false prophets uh, who play on fear and misunderstanding. And I'm referring to people like Paul Vallis and, you know, the leader, the Trumpists uh, who, uh, you know, are in leadership in the Fraternal Order of Police and the threat that that is, uh, and then have a more robust, robust conversation and bring it home to talk about why young people, young Latino men, for example, get caught up in cycles of violence and in gang involvement and bring it home as to how many young people are actually affiliated with some form of gang, uh, you know, peripherally, peripherally or more involved and really break it down to say, what is public safety? And oftentimes people will agree that public safety is having more oppor positive opp opportunities for young people. And I learned that especially in my work at Enlace, uh, doing the violence prevention work, some of the hardest, most rewarding work, uh, and a real admirer of people who put their lives on the line to prevent shootings, to prevent retaliations, that get people out of that street life and uh, put them on a different path to become um, leaders and wonderful people to their families, et cetera. Uh, that, had, that is probably you know, the hardest and most rewarding job that I've had in my life. That and opening up schools after school hours to make them the center of community. And I'm very proud of that work. And that's what informs my decision to get into this race at a most difficult time in Chicago history, where we're dealing with all of these issues and how to progress forward when we've been pitted against each other and the polarization that exists in our society, but also in our city. So the, um, I don't think anybody will disagree that the answers to public safety have to be multi-pronged, as you've suggested, but they certainly do include the police. And if yes. they do include the police, they also include the fraternal order of police. So what's one thing that you do in your first weeks to uh, start a change in the police department culture, which is characterized by that FOP and um, yeah. the leadership's frankly, racist, arrogant rhetoric and demeanor? Uh, for one, I would, uh, and I've begun thinking about it already and considering uh, at what offerings there are in terms of police leadership in the department 
of individuals, women and men, who understand the importance of making change in the department, of changing the culture, embracing the implementation of the consent decree, which I think is you know, the way to modernize a police department, uh, to uh, being able to also embrace the importance of making investments in things like violence prevention, because I see the work of you know people like Arnie Duncan, who you know I was suspicious of at one time about the, why he was doing it. I thought he might run uh, for mayor. Uh, to people like you know Eddie Bocanegra, I'm being very honest with with folks, right? Eddie Bocanegra at uh, Ready, people at Build on the West Side, and many other you know, and Lasse Southwest Organizing Project, Inner City Muslim Action Network. These are some of the best violence prevention and interruption. People in the country, you know, we've done ceasefire, we've done uh, the interrupters, and um, a, a superintendent who understands these things as well as the great priority, and this is probably the most important thing, of rebuilding trust among community residents who you know, experience the greatest levels of violence and crime, and police officers who have been sort of pitted against each other because of these, you know, huge developments. The, the pandemic, well, Laquan McDonald uh, killing George Floyd, and then the pandemic and the civil unrest, they've really polarized things, just like they're polarized in the U.S. Congress and in Washington, they're also polarized in Chicago. So enriching that conversation about what is a safe, community and what makes it sustainable is critical and you we've got to have a superintendent who really values that and it's part of the reason why I think it almost has to be a Chicago one. So do you think a new superintendent can change the culture of FOP? I think it helps. I think it helps tremendously but I also think that the mayor in a leadership role on the mayor's part plays a huge role in that because in order to change the way things have been it's going to require a mass appeal to people to take a chance and to come out. And it's going to take challenging cops to get out of their cars and go meet with people where people are comfortable meeting with them to begin the hard conversations. And the hard conversations, you know, I've been in some of them, include rival gang members who see each other as enemies and getting them to have conversations about their humanity and their family and the fact that their cousins could be rival gang members and what are you going to do when you confront? And that's the type of family conversation that we need to have. The culture is one thing, a significant thing, but the FOP also, as the representative negotiator, has a great ability to hamstring all those things that you talked about, to limit what police will and won't do in cooperation with the mayor's policies, not to mention, you know, the blue flu issue which and slowdown, which we seem to have experienced under the current mayor. So how, how do you loosen that stranglehold that FOP has that really leads to the culture and feeds into it? Uh, for one, the consent decree implementation is not optional. We have to do it. Two, 
how can you continue to justify spending more on paying for settlements for police misconduct and abuse than violence prevention? That should be unconscionable in our time. I also see and hear from younger members of the Chicago Police Department wanting to change things. And to me, that provides hope that we can have those conversations. There are cops, especially many younger cops, who understand that in order for the police to be a respected institution, it's got to change. So I am hoping that those officers step it up as well. I'm hoping that the superintendent lifts up the next generation of officers and that those officers who are black and Latino and LGBTQ and people who understand that we can't continue down this road will be change makers uh, in the department. We'll find out when they hold their election to reelect or replace their boss, right? Well, remember, that's, 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 one, coming up. That, that's one expression, and that elects the leadership and mm-hmm. you know, some of the power that comes with it. But the other officers, because remember, retirees vote in those elections, and those retirees may be voting one way, and the rank and file could be voting in a different way. That's a good point. So that's important because how do you create the conditions to change and to make something significant happen? Yeah, yeah. We could talk about crime for the whole 30 minutes, but we are not going to. Uh, All right. So a question about priorities. Um, So bringing equity to our under-resourced communities is truly complex. And I mean really complex. It's a tangle. Folks can take two buses and a train to get somewhere uh, that – a, a company might might hire them. Or if they have a car, maybe it's old and unreliable. And if there's one tail light out, then they might risk a rather dangerous encounter with those police that we were just talking about. Uh, add in factors like mental illness, underperforming schools, unstable housing. You can see there's a lot of things that have to be done all at once. They have to be addressed simultaneously and urgently. So this this is a tangle. And we can talk about each one of those and what you would want to do. But the real question here, we're not talking about each individual issue per se, but we're talking about that tangle. How do you address the holistic problems that are happening in our neighborhoods as mayor? As uh, uh, someone trained at the University of Illinois in uh, uh, the MUP uh, program, I have a master's degree in urban planning this century, class of of 2002, I'll have you know. Um, I believe that uh, the way to break out of that cycle of redlining and disinvestment, especially in uh, black communities in Chicago, is through strategies that entail comprehensive community development. For me, this means ramping up our production of affordable housing, working in conjunction with schools in those communities as a linkage and making the schools hubs of that community, and then uh, tying that to healthcare providers in those communities. I think that's another very important factor. That's where 
We can provide mental health services to people who are in need, and there are more people in need of mental health services today than ever before uh, because of the factors we, we, we talked about, uh, the, the crisis, um, and uh, ensuring that there's good, uh, clean, reliable uh, public transportation. If you are working in tandem with those anchors that already exist there and you're breathing new life and you're investing dollars into them, uh, you know, uh, community development dollars, uh, uh, t tax increment fund, uh, funding dollars uh, to uh, renovate those schools, to improve those schools, to give them a whole new uh, feel, uh, that's where the seeds of hope are. In addition to that, I think we have a historic opportunity. This is one of the factors in my deciding to run to use funding from the Infrastructure and Jobs Act to build that housing, to accelerate that, to ensure that the Department of Planning and the Department of Housing and other departments are turning over land to nonprofit developers and low-income housing developers to show people that something new at a larger scale is going on on the west side and the south side of Chicago. And remember, there are already organizations across Chicago in those two neighborhoods in particular that have developed their own community plans. They don't need City Hall to come and you know, tell them, this is how you're gonna build a better community. We should plug into those plans and direct investment to those plans because people have already participated in them. They've built a you know, support and consensus in those communities. A great example is Green on Racine, at 63rd and Racine. Not in my congressional district, but I want to see that project go because there's a partnership there of organizations. It includes uh, re, you know, reopening a shuttered uh, L station. And it has a retail component, including uh, fresh uh, uh, food and, and fresh uh, fruits, the repurposing of a local school half a block away, and then some residential development. It's perfect. That is a spark and a comeback for that community. One example, and that's not Invest Southwest, by the way. We're going to throw one, one more topic at you and then hit a couple of short answer questions. And that is, all of these improvements take money. Where are you going to get it? As I said, uh, a, a factor in uh, my wife and my decision, and she said she was going to be here. I don't know if she's here. But, um, hi, honey. Um, I, um, I'll, I'll note she's, she's waving a green she's card. Waving a green card. I, 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 oh, good, not the red one. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, 45 years uh, of, of blissfulness. Um, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act is going to be around for 10 years. We can take advantage of that. I helped write the bill. That's why I know what's in it. I want to leverage it. I want Joe Biden, and you know, I have access to Joe Biden. I want you know the secretaries, uh, Department of Transportation, other secretaries, to invest in Chicago. There are resources there for housing, for transportation uh, that we haven't had ever. As you know, the government has cut community development funding. I want to use tax increment financing for those purposes as well. And then there's the Manufacturing Act, uh, known as the Chips. Uh, and Science Act, it's really about green manufacturing. Chicago has great potential. I, if you go on my website, look at my economic development plan, foresee a green manufacturing district off of right on 290 on the west side. 
the linkage to you know the expressway, uh, the, the land availability, the need for jobs on the west side, and of course pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship programs into that field. Tech has an, is another of the most promising ones, and the partnerships with the universities that we have, and not just UIC, but other universities as well. So uh, those two, and then finally, another big one, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Forget about the title. It's really the bill that will enable us to make Chicago resilient, fight uh, climate change, and invest in green investments, solar panels on people's houses, uh, new heat pumps. I should have got a heat pump. I didn't because I wasn't smart enough two years ago. I regret it. <laughs> Do you see it. any red but cards people about will be that? Able, no? you know, electrify, okay? Uh, protect the environment and have reliable heating and cooling systems in their homes. To me, those are the building blocks of rebuilding Chicago with greater equity. And that played a big role uh, for my jumping into the race because I know that you know, the crime stuff is really tough. Uh, getting the economic engines of Chicago working and generating resources to invest in the neighborhoods is another you know, uh, part of the love of my life, and I want to make that happen. But those are three big factors in my decision. All right, now the hard part. Yes. Short answer quiz. Five Short. Left, Five minutes All right, left. So. so we want two sentences each. Great. So um, bears. We just learned that the bears are property owners in Arlington Heights, but there's not a stadium there yet. What should the city do to keep the bears in Chicago? <laughs> that, that, that's a tough one. Uh, if you pray, do that, light a candle. Uh, I don't know if you do voodoo. Um, look, uh, I will leave the door open, but it, it might be a done deal. Uh, what I think should happen, I think the General Assembly, when the bears go to the General Assembly seeking assistance in setting up shop in Arlington Heights, should restore uh, the city uh, uh, for the loss of revenues to the Chicago Park District, the future maintenance of Soldier Field, and other losses that the city will uh, uh, suffer as a result. This is at least a transitional plan, but I think that the legislature needs to step up and do everything possible to make the city as whole as possible. That's your two lines. That's a little more in your two lines. <laughs> this one, two sentences. Mental health centers, would you reopen any of the closed mental health centers? I'm for reopening the mental, uh, uh, the shuttered clinics, but I want more, and I've laid it out mm -hmm. in my plan. I think, uh, and I've been insisting on this at the uh, forums. Uh, last Friday, uh, Commissioner Arwadi announced that the city is now going to provide services at the 24 clinics. That's a good thing. Uh, we should also take advantage of the 15 county clinics to provide additional mental health services. So I'm for that plus. Would you extend the moratorium on school closings? Uh, yes. Uh, I think uh, that uh, yeah, I'm for keeping the, the uh, moratorium on school closings. I'm troubled by uh, the, the uh, drop in enrollment. Uh, before you engage in any closings, you have to engage deeply those communities, and if the decision about closing has to come, then you figure out how you repurpose those communities. I drive by school, shuttered schools in North Lawndale almost every day, and I see uh, how much life has been sucked out of those communities. It's depressing, and it's immoral.
So that was a yes to the moratorium, but yes. maybe some would be closed if you work with the community. Uh, zoning question is, do you support limiting the control that the older persons have over their wards? Mm, Sometimes, in, in, in some instances, I do. Um, aldermanic prerogative to prevent the construction of affordable uh, or, di or housing for diverse communities is a problem. But as a former member of the Chicago City Council, I will engage the council and have those hard conversations. I think Chicago is uh, changing but we've got more work to do, especially as it relates to uh, the history of segregation and changing that. Is a combative nature a requirement for the job? <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, you can engage people. You can be tough, as uh, uh, tough as you want. Uh, the important thing for Chicago right now is collaboration and engagement. I have that history. It's possible that we may wind up with you know, 25 uh, new older persons in the city council, you better know how to engage people in a legislative body, and that's one of the strengths I bring to the job. And finally, I think this is our last question. Daniel Burnham says, make no little plans. Yes. What's your moonshot? What's the one big thing you'd like to do as mayor? Rebuild a truly multiracial coalition that is reflected in our governance and that makes people feel like they have a government that they are a part of and that's addressing the issues in their community. All right. And with that, I think right. we thank are you. done. Thank Congressman, you. Thank, you thank you so, so much. much. Congressman Chewy Garcia. It's good to have a conversation <laughs> and not 45 seconds. We think so, Thank too. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us. Brandon Johnson's commissioner of the Cook County Board since 2016. He has represented the west side of Chicago on the board. His achievements include collaborating with Latinx colleagues to eliminate the gang database for the county and to secure legal representation for immigrants facing deportation. From teaching in some of Chicago's most under-resourced under neighborhoods Johnson went on to organize with the Chicago Teachers Union, fighting to expand school funding, limit charter schools, and reduce reliance on standardized testing. The CTU endorses him in this race, as does SEIU Healthcare and Local 73, the branch of the Service Employees Union that represents such frontline workers as school crossing guards and security officers at O'Hare and Midway. Brandon lives on the west side. He's the son of a pastor. He's one of 10 siblings, which he often notes, I'm going to steal your line, has honed his negotiating skills. Welcome, Commissioner Hey, thank you. Johnson. Thank you very much. Usually I'm used to when my name is announced that people just start randomly clapping. This is a tough <laughs> crowd already. We told them yeah. to, uh, 
we told him to calm down. We really is laid, that it, what it is? We, we okay. laid down the law calm before down, we got here. Calm down, just like here, my middle so. school students. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, by the way. Thanks for being here. So um, this is our first question to the candidates tonight. Uh, we're a progressive forum. We're a room full of progressives. You call yourself a progressive. Uh, it's often a Rorschach test to actually indicate what a progressive means. So will you talk to us about what progressive means to you, how you define it? Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, I think, you know, of, of someone who is uh, the descendant of a slave or slaves, um, progressive politics means that we are moving away from the status quo, embracing a progressive form of governance so that um, equity and justice becomes the prevailing form of politics. So we progress as it relates to education. We progress as it relates to making housing affordable, reliable transportation, making health care a human right. Um, of course, making sure that we have good paying jobs and particularly jobs that are unionized in which you actually can end your career with a pension. So progressivism is, um, again, a turning away, if you will, um, from the failed politics of old that have um, exacerbated the type of stratification in this country that we have been desperately trying to rid ourselves of. And just so you know, when you see the green cards, they like what you say. If you see oh, is a, right? If you see a red card, they're not so happy. Oh, I see. So I, I thought in initially mind. they were political contributions. No, Either we are way, not waving dollars in okay. a progressive forms right. audience. Good, good thing I clarified yeah, yeah, it's, that. It's something when you're part of the working class. It's like, <laughs> ain't no money in here. No, prob probably not. Sorry, probably not. There's a second half to this question about being progressive because we are in this election more than in most others, really uh, behaving pragmatically to the extent we can. That is, we as progressives want a progressive candidate to make it to City Hall. We certainly want one to make it through the runoff. Will that be you, and how will you do it? What's your path? Yeah, look, the pathway is actually, um, we are experiencing the manifestation of the pathway. Right? I don't think it's a coincidence that now um, the mayor of Chicago has referred to me as Muhammad Ali. I mean, that's a literal tweet. I'm not making that up, right? Um, and what we have done is we've built literally a multicultural, multi-generational movement. And it's 21st century, right? So independent political organizations, having the support of someone like Congresswoman Delia Ramirez, the support of a civil rights um, icon son, Congressman Jonathan Jackson, independent political organizations, as I said before, progressive um, labor unions, um, our pathway has been very clear that we're going to unite the city around a set of values that speak to working people, that, that, that pulls people out of the um, isolated, very um, harsh conditions of poverty. And here's my position. I believe that progressives get to determine who the progressive is. Like, I could walk around and call myself a lot of different things. <laughs> Certainly my children call me a lot of different things. <laughs> and what we have seen is that we have had since June, uh, what, what month is this? Since um, January 19th, the first debate, we literally have almost 1,000 individual donors. We have raised close to $200,000 from individual donors. 
That is more money raised from individual donors than any other candidate who has, who, who has declared their candidacy. So I'm very excited about it, and it's a good feeling to be in second place right now. <laughs> One of the issues, or maybe the issue of this race, is crime. And uh, it's getting a lot of heat for obvious reasons. You and other progressive candidates have tried reframing this to focus on youth employment, better education, mental health services, equity for communities, uh, as well as all the root causes. Um, but voters, uh, many voters, uh, perceiving immediate threats in neighborhoods where there might not have been or they not, might not feel there have been immediate threats in the past, are nonetheless gravitating towards the law and order candidate. What's your most effective response to that kind of thinking? What the people of Chicago have already said. We just saw a poll, I think it was in the Sun-Times, that actually said the opposite. It said investing in young people and mental health. The city of Chicago is not, first of all, public safety is a very serious problem right now. I know it firsthand because I live in the second most violent neighborhood in the entire city of Chicago. I love Austin. I love the west side of Chicago. But I don't know too many other candidates that have had to change windows because of gunshots that have come through their window, their home. And so I know all of us have um, a desire to see the city of Chicago safer. What we can't do is lie to people. Do you know how long it takes to become a police officer in the city of Chicago? It takes 18 months. How immediate is that? I need public safety today. We can't afford to wait on. We can hire more mental health responders on the front line that can respond to essentially what 40% of the 911 calls are. We can do that within the first six months of my administration. And here's the other thing. Over 40% of the violence that happens in the city of Chicago, it happens in 6% of the city. We already know where it's going to take place. And there's a direct correlation to providing mental health services and youth employment and violence reduction. The safest cities in America all have one thing in common. They invest in people. And that's what a Brandon Johnson administration is going to do. We're going to get the, at the immediacy of it, and we're going to deal with the long term. But anyone that is saying that you're going to get a 1,000 more cops, you can't get a 1,000 more people to do anything right now. That's true. I'm just saying. No, that's, that's no joke. Yeah. And so they should stop being dishonest with people. I'm always going to tell people the truth. Keep it 100. Always. What would you do about the FOP, which uh, in its negotiating position has been hamstringing mayors uh, in su rapid succession, several mayors, all the mayors, by setting uh, kind of work rules, uh, engineering work slowdowns, mm. blue flu, and that sort of thing, so that they, those who are on the street don't always deliver what the community needs? What do you do about that? Is that a freestyle question? Because I didn't see you look down on any paper there. <laughs> no, no, <I'm> just... <laughs> no, but it's a question no, it's I'm a very good, familiar it's a, with. No, it's, it's, a, a, it's a very good question. Me. Look, here's the thing. Police officers are being asked to do too much. They are. <laughs> so I'm going to speak on behalf of all black people right now, which I never do. <laughs> but here's what we do know for sure. Black families... The black sections of the city of Chicago call police more than anyone else. That's documented. We call police more than anyone else, and we hate when they show up. It's just the strain of the, the dynamic between policing and communities. And don't we have a pretty legitimate reason why we have a little trepidation? 
right? How do you change that culture? You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that question. Look, some of these institutions, whether it's law enforcement or education, have a long history of um, not just exacerbating, but perpetuating um, the type of structures that have been harmful to people. And here's the short answer. As a public school teacher, I used to administer standardized tests because that's what I was told to do. But you all know the history of standardized tests, right? Mm -hmm. So I am complicit in reinforcing white supremacy, right? Because the whole standardization came out of the eugenics study, right? To prove that black folks were inferior. What I'm saying is that many times these systems that we participate in perpetuate the type of harm that progressives want to transform. And so that's gonna require some reflection. It is, but the first thing that I believe that teachers have done, that we recognize that there is some systemic problems that we have to address. And I believe that there are people in law enforcement that recognize that the type of poverty and the isolation of poverty in this city um, exacerbates the type of violence that we're trying to get rid of. So the way we do it is we start with the rank and file. We start to work through leadership. We talk to people. Look, we, we all probably have people who are connected to law enforcement one way or the other, whether they serve in the military or they actually serve on the front line. And so we can alleviate some of the pressure and tension that police officers are experiencing because they're showing up to people's homes and they're being asked to be mental health specialists or marriage counselors, right? We, we put an end to that practice and then we begin to work within the rank and file. We, we, we promote from within, as my public safety plan has articulated, 200 new detectives in which we will train, we will hold accountable, and we will support, right? But it does require us to have very difficult conversations. And as you know, I'm one of 10. I've had some hard conversations <laughs> growing up, especially when we're discussing whose turn is it to use the bathroom, or even worse, whose turn is it to clean the bathroom. <laughs> Somehow those ought to be connected if you're going to be fair. But I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I want to talk about priorities, but actually this is about multiple priorities and, and bringing equity to under-resourced communities. Mm -hmm. it's, it's truly complex. It's, it's, it's a tangle. It's not one thing that we have to deal with. So um, a hypothetical. Folks can take two buses and a train to get somewhere if they can find a job. Uh, or if they have a car, it's old and unreliable. Maybe there's a tail light out, which could prompt a stop from mm -hmm. the police that you've just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, add in factors like mental illness, underperforming schools, unstable housing, and we see there are a lot of challenges that are intertwined, need to be addressed simultaneously and urgently. So this isn't a question about each of those issues. This is a question about the tangle of those issues and how you as mayor will address them holistically starting on day one. Yeah, so this is why I released a budget plan of which no one else has done that. They haven't because they're either being dishonest, or they're gonna do what most politicians have done for too long, they're gonna raise property taxes. My plan is pretty simple. We eliminate the structural deficit in my first term, and we make up to $1 billion of new investments without raising property taxes that 
I've been very clear. I don't know if anyone else has actually said out loud that we have to tax the rich. I mean, Joe Biden obviously read my budget plan, <laughs> right? He said it. He said a teacher and a firefighter should not have to pay the same tax rate as a billionaire. Now, I don't know how he found my budget plan. <laughs> I'm going to resist the urge that. of making a real interesting joke about the Democratic Party, so I'm going to avoid that. I don't know how he got it. <laughs> but the point is, you invest. And, and, and being a public school teacher, to the point that you just made, all of that type of the, the, the collection of all that you just discussed, it was in room 309. So many of you know that I taught in Cabrini Green, right? So one of the wealthiest communities from their back windows just down the street. Out of their front windows, bulldozers staring them down. And so families are forced to chase down an economy that's behind them while everything in front of them is crumbling. So I have students coming into my classroom where they can see and hear and practically walk to the wealth, but yet they don't have access to fully funded schools, their parents don't have access to good paying jobs, their, their housing is is crumbling, and then they would have to come in my classroom and discuss the five causes of the American Revolution. Mm. Understand how cruel that is? People started to nod as soon as I said five causes of the American Revolution. They begin to fall asleep on me right now, right? <laughs> Could you imagine coming into my classroom and you're hungry? You've been doubled up? You took multiple buses and trains to get to Cabrini Green because your housing projects have already been destroyed, but it's the only community that you know? So that's why we're giving people not just a chance in my administration. We're giving people a guarantee that if you love people, you invest in them. As my father would say, where your heart is from the scriptures, there your treasure will be also. Do you love the people of Chicago enough to invest so that we don't leave it to chance that they'll have a fully funded neighborhood school, reliable transportation, access to health care, a good paying job? affordable housing. It's why we're calling for the real estate transfer tax. We are calling for the financial transaction tax. And yes, we're going to reinstate the corporate head tax. And absolutely, we're going to pay for the, the, these large jets that are polluting the economy. Yes, they have to contribute back to the city of Chicago. It's the very least they can do. Well, you've it answered, is a matter of life and death. You've answered my question about where the money comes from, so I'm not going to ask that question. So let's well, that, that does include a, you're, you are talking about a, a, a city income tax. No, is that, no, it's not in the plan. Okay. So I'm going to say it like this. There's a particular news outlet that made a mistake. So that's what we're going to call it. It was a mistake. They've retract, retracted it. But let me just put some things into context. They said it was a 3.5 income tax on those who make $100,000 a year or more. My wife and I, when we purchased our first home, we have six degrees between the two of us. We made a combined income. We had an, a combined income of $80,000. We were literally the richest people in our families. Doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Now, they mm -hmm. called it a mistake, so we'll accept it as such. Even when people in this room fought for a progressive income tax, the tax rate didn't shift. We got to a quarter of a million dollars, right? Does it make sense for someone who was organizing for a progressive income tax to not at least start with the rate in which we all fought for? So we're going to call it a mistake, and we're going to take it as an honest one. You've but clarified it's not in my plan. the record. Multiple times, by the way. All right, one <laughs> more you. for the road, then why not? So let, let's skip on to another topic. What, what's wrong, simply put, what's wrong with the CTA, and how do you fix it? So it's unreliable and it's unsafe, and the way we fix it is um, we have to listen to people. 
Let's start there. But we also have to close this gap between graduation and job opportunities, right? And so the opportunity that young people need in this moment is, a, is, is, is an opportunity of clarity. We have to hire more people, simply put. You can't have a reliable transportation system if the people who actually do the work don't feel safe and not supported, right? So that also means that we're, we're, we're providing competitive wages to continue to attract workers. Here's a second thing that we have to do, bus only lanes and make them clear with traffic signals that give them preference. Everybody knows if you drive, you at that light with that bus, y'all know what happens. I don't know why you would take on a bus, <laughs> but you know, so by having the preference of traffic signals will help. The other thing is, look, we have to, we have to make it more accessible. And so we have a plan to hire more interventionists so that they can be on the platforms to make sure that they're helping individuals with disabilities. The more adults around, the more regular trains run, the more safe it will be. And then we have to deal with the real reality here is that, there's a structural deficit for 2025. And that's why I've put forth a budget plan of how we get ourselves out of these, the, the deficit that is really weighing down our economy while making the critical investments. I also believe in the equitable, equitable distribution of bike grids. And we have a plan to actually execute that. And there's some really good opportunities. I'm very excited about the cycling and the transportation um, advocates. They've been very, very influential in this race. It's actually quite fascinating. And I'm a little, mm -hmm. a little, I'm a little afraid of them, by the they way. They had too. their own forum, which was a pretty good, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, here's one for you. Every candidate makes a lot of promises. We've heard a few already tonight. And then um, the ideas get buried or waylaid when uh, the candidate becomes mayor. How do we know that's not going to happen with you? And specifically, I'm just going to chime do. in a little bit. Well-meaning candidates get to City Hall and find out can't quite happen the way they thought. I think it's inevitable that some of the things that you picture are going to turn out different when you get there. So how will you handle those publicly and privately? I believe that the... Let me talk about myself for a minute. I know most politicians don't do that, but let me talk about <laughs> myself for a second. My father raised me a certain kind of ways, a man of his generation. And what he always talked about was you have to be compassionate, Brandon. Like show that you care. Be collaborative, Brandon, and be competent. That if you are compassionate, collaborative, and competent, even when things don't work out the way you anticipated or hoped, that those particular characteristics provide you with the opportunity to go after it the next time. So when you say how I would handle it, I grew up in a house where I was told no all the time. We just didn't have it. So I learned that no was essentially the word that you heard right before you asked again. That's how we do it. I've worked with 16 Cook County commissioners a board president, 11 separately elected, constitutionally protected countywide officials passing multi-billion dollar budgets without raising property taxes, much like my budget plan articulates. People said we couldn't have an elected representative school board, check. People said we wouldn't have oversight with civilians for policing as part of that movement, check. People said we couldn't have a moratorium on privatization and school closures, check. So everywhere there's been a fight, 
the struggle in this city for economic, racial, and social justice. I've been a part of that fight. And every time people tell us no, we organize and get stronger. So much so, I'm in a position to run one of the largest economies in the world. I was a part of that movement. The movement has propelled me in this position, and I'm deeply grateful and humbled by that. So the companion to that question, if you follow me, you, you learn to understand what no meant. What do you do when you have to say, as mayor, you have to say no to one of the unions that has helped get you there? I think it's not so much about how to say no. I think the question is, how do we come to an agreement? See, I don't believe that you just simply lead with an iron fist, yes or no. Life is a little bit more complex than that. I'm learning that as I'm raising an 8, 10, and a 15-year-old, much different than when I was raised. There, were only one, there was only one word in my home. It was 10 of us, plus they were foster parents. And no was not like this mean-spirited presentation. It was more or less because we really didn't have it. Look at where we are. We've built an entire community using taxpayer dollars. We can't have a teacher's assistant or a livable wage. What if I came to you and I said, listen, we have two opportunities in the city of Chicago. We can build a brand new community or we can make sure every single school has a nurse. Which one is more of the radical idea? A nurse in every school or a freaking brand new community? I actually think that's more of a radical presentation. Somehow Rom got that. But you mad at me because we want to, and I don't mean that literally, but you're mad at workers because they want to be able to afford to live in the city of Chicago? How about we figure out how to get to an agreement and do it in a responsible way? We can do that. We can do that. There's more than enough for everybody in this city. I'll say it like this. Many people talk about having a slice of the pie. How about we just make more pies? <laughs> Maybe you like cakes. If you're vegan, Oreo cookies. <laughs> There's enough for everybody. You've earned, you've earned a step into the lightning round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. so I need some of that theme music, though, <laughs> where the lights flash. It's like, can I call a friend? How many, how many, no. yeah, let me see. No. How many lifelines do, do I have? You have no lifelines. Okay, oh, own. great. <laughs> I, I, I know that a lot of the, the forums that you've been in have these lightning rounds where it's yes or no. And we're not going to ask you to oh, say yes or no. Okay. Uh, but we are going to ask you for just a couple of sentences, and you'll forgive us in advance if we uh, interrupt you and cut you off. But <laughs> might, we've got a, we've might got, happen. We've got a few. We've got a few minutes. Right. So um, we've got and, and we've got a few topics here. So let's talk about the bears. Uh, the bears are. Um, we just learned that they're property owners now in Arlington Heights, but um, stadium hasn't been built yet. So, uh, you know, what should the city do to keep the Bears in Chicago, if anything? Look, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, that my candidacy propels me onto the fifth floor and we sit down and talk and listen to um, the desires of, of ownership and how does that match and align with the values in which I was elected under. And if there's a match there, we keep having those conversations. Um, if there's a mismatch there, then then we start to think about, as a city, um, how we move forward. How about the mental health centers? Uh, would you reopen those that have been closed? Yes, and they will be publicly funded and good union-paying jobs so that when my terms are over, that it doesn't matter who's on the fifth floor, that you can't just simply have a mayor to just undermine, sweep, 
and close them. Terms. You have long-term plans. Well, at least more than one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I heard you. Unlike this one. Dang. <laughs> Burned. We'll see, we'll see about that. <laughs> Would you extend the moratorium on school closings? Yes. All right. That's a yes or no answer. How about zoning? This question is a little more complicated. Do you uh, support the alder person's uh, aldermanic privilege? Would you continue to give aldermen uh, right over veto right over zoning in their wards? Compassionate, collaborative, and competent. All right. That answer applies. But do you have a yes or no that you would add to that? Look, I, I mean... I would much rather come to an agreement. I just think that the mayor's office, not that I think, I know, the mayor's office will not be our parents' and our grandparents' office anymore. We have to have a better approach where we eliminate these terms, whether they're real or not, that we figure out collectively how we can come to an agreement to make sure that the values of the city of Chicago are reflected in all of our decisions. Okay. One of your opponents feels <laughs> that a combative nature is necessary to be mayor of Chicago. Do you agree with that sentiment? I mean, I believe that there is a certain element of toughness that you have to have. And I have it. You know, some of the worst things ever said to me were by my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> you all come from large families. If you know, I don't think you have to be combat combative, but I believe you have to be, you know, smart. Um, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm just on repeat, but I've worked as an organizer. How to bring people together is something that I'm well versed in. And I'm confident that that is the skill that will be the prevailing uh, force, if you will, that brings us to agreements and not the combative nature that I believe the city of Chicago has grown weary and tired over. We've had a few in a row, uh, for mm. sure. So let's talk about the city's history. Daniel Burnham said, make no little plans. What's your moonshot? What's the one big thing you would do if elected mayor? I want to say for Chicago. I do. Doubling the amount of young people that we can hire, make them year-round positions where corporations and the government could be supportive of that. If, if we don't accomplish anything other than making sure that young people know that they have a future and that families will be fully supported um, in a safe, thriving community, what, what better wish can we ever have for people to grow up in a, in a city where you don't have to catch a ride to get to school, that you don't have to wait in a long line to be able to access health care, that you don't have to worry about the environment being safe and, and responsive, that, you know, my big goal is, is to fulfill, I believe, the promise of what many of us have desired, whether you came up from the South like my family or whether you came up from Central or South America. Like the same Cook County Hospital that Delia Ramirez was born in is the same Cook County Hospital where I received treatment because I have had, I grew up with asthma. There's more than enough for everyone. That's my desire, to see more than enough for every single Chicagoan. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you. Is this my partying gift right yes. here? You can, yeah, yeah, free of charge. It's yours yeah, to keep. Yeah, true progressive. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. All right. Two third, down, one to go. Our third contestant uh, <laughs> is Cam Buckner. Uh, Cam Buckner grew up on Chicago's South Side, the son of a law enforcement officer and a CPS teacher. He attended the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, where he played football for the Illini. He has run World Sport Chicago, a youth development nonprofit, managed neighborhood and government relations for the Chicago Cubs, been an aide to Senator Dick Durbin and New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu, and served on the Chicago State University Board of Trustees. In the state legislature since 2019, Cam currently chairs the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, was a lead neg negotiator on the Safety Act, and for the nation's most comprehensive and consequential clean energy package. He's worked to pass legislation on a variety of other issues, including elected school board, Cam lives in Bronzeville, still the son of the South Side, That's right. as he likes to say. Welcome, yeah. Thank Representative you. Buckner. Thank Thanks you for, for having joining me. Us. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to warn you, that's the last time you'll hear applause, because we run a tight ship around here. Good deal. And uh, however, you will see when people like what you have to say, you'll see some green cards waving in the air. Okay. If there's something you, and you saw you. some when you sat down, which uh, was nice to see for you and all of our candidates have been greeted that way. Thank you for your politeness, everyone. If you see a red card, they don't like it. Alrighty. So keep an eye out for that as well. <laughs> with uh, the ground rules in place, we're going to hit you with our first question. You are at what we believe is the only progressive mayoral forum on the docket for this uh, cycle. And so our first question is, what do you mean when you call yourself a progressive? Yeah, well, thank you for that. And it's unfortunate that this is the only uh, progressive uh, form that we've had, but thank you all for standing in the gap. I think that's extremely important. Uh, listen, I think historically we've seen progressivism uh, in America be really a response to things, right? A, a response to um, the industrial age, a response to uh, laissez-faire economics, and a response to uh, the excesses of the Gilded Age. Um, it really was about has been about justice for me, right? That's what progressivism is. It's about um, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable through policy, right? Um, but I, uh, unfortunately, I think way too often because uh, progressivism has been a response, uh, we find ourselves on our heels instead of being able to move things forward, right? And so what I've tried to do uh, in my role as a state rep and what I want to do as mayor of Chicago is not just be a reactionary progressive, right, but be a proactive progressive, uh, being able to put policies in place that we know can protect people who need it the most. Uh, and I think that should be our calling. That's the special obligation we have uh, when we choose to do this work and we put ourselves uh, in the progressive movement and align with that title. The second part of that question, uh, pragmatic progressives want at least one of you to make it to the runoff. Uh, what's your path? This room. Uh, the people who are here, honestly. Uh, listen, this is a, an odd election, and we see, you know, depending on what poll you listen to, 
somewhere between 20 and 30% folks who are uh, still undecided. Uh, and that can make the difference uh, in this race. Now, we've got to have some more conversations about the 70% or the 60 to 70% of Chicagoans who will not vote uh, in this election, um, which uh, really we can't continue that path we, that where 35% of us are making a decision for the entire lot of the city. But that being what it is, um, you know, I represent uh, the most diverse uh, house district in the state. Uh, I go from far south Chicago near the Indiana border uh, around 91st and Commercial Avenue, and I creep up the lakefront. I, I've got South Shore. I've got Woodline, Washington Park, Greater Grand Crossing, uh, High Park, Kenwood, Bronzeville, the South Loop, downtown, River North, Streeterville, and the Gold Coast. Um, there are 10 aldermanic wards in the, di in, the, in the district. There are five police districts in the district. Uh, there are 21 of Chicago's 77 community districts that touch uh, the district, right? And so um, I have the most experience of, of any uh, challenger in this race in representing uh, that many neighborhoods in Chicago. Uh, and I've been able to do it with distinction over the last four years. Uh, but the true path, I think, for me is building that coalition based on who I represent today. Uh, and as I said, the people in this room being able to uh, touch folks in this city who believe in an ideology that moves this city forward and who can look at someone who's actually done it, right? So not just progressive uh, in terms of what I think and believe, uh, but someone who's able to pass the elected representative school board, someone who's able to uh, put a moratorium on school closings until we start uh, figuring out how to resource our young people, someone who passed the earned um, income uh, tax credit extension, someone who did the work uh, when the assault weapons ban was tanked in Springfield, the person who brought it back to life, right? And so that work matters, uh, and those are the, the folks who are going to help uh, us win this race. So we're going to move to some of the specific issues. Um, we have 30 minutes, which seems like a luxury, but, you know, it's going to be over in a second. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about crime because it's the number one issue in this campaign. Um, the first question is, despite all the progressive conversation that you and the other candidates have had about the root causes of crime and the need to invest in better education, mental health services, youth employment, um, equity for communities, there still uh, seems to be a significant number of voters gravitating to the law and order candidate in this race. What is your most effective response to them? Well, people are doing that because they're scared, right, and, and fear um, really uh, rattles human beings in a way that makes us lose a lot of logic, right? Um, the truth of the matter is that while we talk about crime as the biggest issue in this city and in, in this race, um, crime is the symptom. Uh, the actual disease is a lack of investment in public safety, right? And there, there is um, a real need to be able to have that conversation. And there are some folks who don't want to hear that, uh, but I think we've got to package it in a way where people can comprehend it uh, and then uh, see the pathway. There's a, a African proverb that says, don't look at where you fell, look at where you slipped, right? Um, and the slip for us, uh, while we have young people, younger and younger, getting caught up in the cycle of violence and crime in this city, uh, it's because we've not given them the resources they need. We literally, literally put a curfew on the young people in Chicago because a shooting happened downtown in Millennium Park um, in my district, a young man named uh, Shondale Holiday. Uh, and our response, instead of figuring out what we could do to resource 
our young people, we decided to tell them that they couldn't come downtown. Um, while at the same time we were uh, making excuses on why the city was unable to open up the swimming pools at the park district, right? There is a clear connection there. It may not be causation, but there's some some tough correlation if we if we look at it that way. And so, uh, when we talk about moving the needle on public safety and root causes, uh, we know we have to have this conversation with people who don't necessarily believe what we believe. They think that we're crazy lefties and we're tree huggers and we we don't understand um, the the enormity of the situation, but as someone who grew up uh, in a neighborhood who was under-resourced, someone who saw uh, this violence, someone who's, who this violence has touched my family personally, um, I understand that it's not enough just to put more cops on the street. Because at some point, more just becomes more, more doesn't, doesn't become better. Um, and we have to have a real uh, intentional conversation green. about how we, do, how we do better. Some green cards you're getting in the some of our that? Some of our, uh, you know, rhetoric from the left may have contributed to that misunderstanding. How do you cut through some of that to help people understand what you're talking about, about investing in public safety, uh, apart from putting more cops on the street? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes to get people to hear things that they don't want to hear, right? But I think that that is the job of a mayor. A, mayor is to find, a mayor's job is to find a way to yes instead of getting stuck at no. Uh, but what we have done a really bad job of is being able to connect real data uh, to these things, right? So people think we're talking, um, and we're just using conjecture and, and, and talking in a way that is uh, platitudinous. Is that a word? Platitudinous. Might be. I like it. It is now. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't see the, the solid facts, right? What also is true is for many of our folks, our friends on the, on the right and folks who are moderate, um, they want to see the economic case for this. There is a true economic case for public safety uh, in this city. Um, when we talk about uh, the fact that we spend so much money on police mis misconduct or how much money we lose as a city because we have this murderous label that's uh, hanging over our head, um, we've got to talk about it through that lens, right? And so, um, listen, I, I've got a 14-month-old um, son, and what I'm realizing is sometimes you got to hide the vegetables and the mashed potatoes mm -hmm. right, in order to get him to eat it, but he'll eat it. Uh, and, and it'll be good for them. Um, and so I think it's all about positioning uh, how we present the message. So here's where you come up against the wall of the FOP, because all the restrictions that they've written into the contract or one into their contract, their threats of blue flu and uh, slowdown that we've seen under this current mayor and probably last one too somewhat, um, is definitely going to hamstring any efforts that you might make as mayor. How are you going to deal with that? Yeah, listen, the FOP um, and, and their current president, uh, who hopefully won't be their president very much longer, uh, has been problematic. Uh, and we look at true safety in, in this city. Um, uh, they've not made it easier. In fact, I've got family members who are former CPD officers who uh, tell me that, you know, the only reason that they have uh, allowed Ken Zara to be in the space that he's in, because, you know, in FOP Lodge 7, Retirees get to vote for the president, which is how he got there. Um, and uh, there are folks in my family who say, you know, I, I did it because he's going to protect my pension. Uh, and so if there's a threat from City Hall that people won't have their pension protected, then you get people like that, right? And so um, I think first we've got to fix that part of it. But um, listen, it, there are going to be difficult negotiations. Uh, with with that 
union for sure. Uh, but I think uh, my MO as mayor is going to be to come in, lay all the cards on the table, have a real conversation about what has to happen. Um, and listen, I've always believed that the way to get someone to come to your side is not with fire and fury, but with facts and a good demeanor. Um, and that's the way I operate. Now, whether or not that works off the bat with um, Mr. Kenzar and whoever may be his successor uh, is yet to be seen. Um, but uh, I don't always use this very calm voice. I know how to do other things, too, if I need to. I'm from the, I'm from the real south side of Chicago. I hope we don't see that tonight. So I want to talk about priorities, but actually the question is about multiple priorities and bringing equity to under-resourced communities. It's really complex. So for a hypothetical, folks can take two buses and a train to get somewhere if they can find a job to get to that job. Or if they have a car, or maybe it's unreliable, maybe they have one taillight out, which is going to perhaps lead to a dangerous encounter with one of the police officers that we've um, just been talking about. So you add in factors like mental illness and underperforming schools and unstable housing. And you can see there's a lot of challenges that need to be addressed, uh, not one at a time, not in order, but simultaneously and urgently, everything, everywhere, all at once. So this question is about the tangle. Um, not about each one of those issues one by one, but about how you deal with the holistic problems that are happening in our neighborhoods. How would you deal with that on day one as mayor? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question uh, because it is something that has been uh, absent from this mayoral conversation. People often ask, you know, what are the four most important things to you? Or what, what are the things that, you know, um, the four things you got to do on day one? Um, as somebody, and that's fine for a candidate, but for somebody who's worked uh, at the highest level in the mayor's office in a greater, in a large American city, I can tell you that every single thing is the most important thing that you got to do. Um, and that's how you uh, create a city that people want to live in. Uh, there is so much intersectionality between all of this. Right? I, I tell people all the time, because I talk a lot about CTA, I said, if you show me a uh, transit system with a crime problem, I'll show you a city with a crime problem. If you show me a transit system with a homelessness issue, I can guarantee you I can show you a city with a housing issue, right? Um, and so when we look at the intersectionality of all these things, uh, the, the mayor of Chicago has to stand up and say, this is the way we're going to do business in this town moving forward. Uh, what has happened is that we've gotten so um, used to the way things go. As human beings, we've been captured by the past, and we do the things that we've always done because that's the only way we can fathom how to do them. Uh, but it takes bold, brave leadership. I talk a lot about being bold, being brave, being creative, and being different in this space. And we've got all the room to do that. I remember in March of 2020, uh, upon learning what was going on with the pandemic, saying that COVID would not break us because I believe that we were too strong to be broken by some virus. Uh, but I did believe that COVID would shine a light and show us what was already broken about us. And that happened what was broken in our systems, in our institutions, in our priorities, in our politics, right? Now that light is shining on us and we see it, we've got to make a decision what we do. Light can serve two functions. It can either illuminate your path and give you a way forward, or it can blind you and render you motionless. Let's not be motionless, all right? The mayor of Chicago, and as, as mayor, I will do this, step up and say, it's a new day. This is how we do work. This is how the city is going to move forward. Um, and this is how the city that's going to work works. Uh, because I've, as I said many times on this campaign, even when the city that works did work, it didn't work for everybody. And so that has to be the true ethos on how we move things forward. 
You got some cards on a couple of those comments. I want to ask, all these improvements take money. Where are you going to get it? Yeah, so listen, um, we have uh, unveiled a very specific and nuanced economic plan on how we do that. There are things that we can do on day one, uh, including uh, dealing with going through the current budget with a fine-tooth comb and finding the efficiencies that exist there. I mean, they are everywhere. I spent about two and a half hours today going through the budget, um, little light light reading. Um, find, find something you want to give us an example? Well, the mayor has 12 people in her communication staff um, at about $1.7 million, $485,000 on her public safety staff within the mayor's office, right, just to show where, where priorities are. Um, that was one that just jumped out at me. I'm like, I don't need that many comms folks. Um, my, and my, my comms I mean, folks are here tonight. So I don't know if they're going to I agree. No, I get it. And, I, and I've been in that, I've worked in that space before. Um, but listen, th those, those efficiencies are, are important. Uh, I've also talked a lot about uh, getting our just due from Springfield, right? There's the local government distributive fund uh, that is the city's percentage of the, of the income tax that you all pay. Um, right now, the city's getting about 6% of that. It was 5% last year. I helped bump it up, uh, but we used to get 10% of it, and that stopped in 2011. Uh, that is $200 million back to this city without raising a single dime of taxes on anybody in this city or this state. Um, so that's an important way to do it. But I also just want to say this. Um, the price for a safe, just city is high, but the cost is higher, and we're paying the cost right now. If you don't do anything, uh, and when we cards are flashing. when we look at it, when we look at it from that perspective, the question should be why? How could we not do this? Whenever we have conversations about jailing people or the, uh, the uh, tips for developers in places that don't need it, we never ask how we're going to pay for it, right? And so, if we're going to truly be a great city, and we're going to be um, forward-leaning and progressive and do things differently, then we have to find a way to do that. And I've, I've laid some of this out in my plan, but I think there are more things we can do as well. So, um, Representative, you have a, a lot of good progressive plans, and we've seen the cards flash. Um, but to be honest, to be fair, you haven't broken through to double digits yet in the polling. So in the very short time that we have left in this race, mm -hmm. what's your path to break through? Yeah, listen, I, I think... Uh, the voters who are going to put us over the top are, are the folks that we already talked about, those folks who are uh, undecided today. Uh, I also believe in our polling and polling that we've seen, uh, most folks who have, quote unquote, made their decision are not um, firm in that decision. They're waiting to see what they're going to do when they get uh, in the poll, uh, in the in the booth. Um, but we're going to do what we've done in this whole race. Right? I've been in this race longer than anybody, uh, including the mayor, before the mayor even announced that she was running again. We were out. And part of the reason for that was that I didn't want to play games with the people of Chicago. I didn't want to pontificate and leverage and equivocate. I wanted to say, listen, I want this job, and this is why I want it. Um, and nobody had to twist my arm to get me to believe that I should be mayor, right? Uh, so I've done that. We'll continue to do it. We'll meet people where they are in their church basements, in their union halls, uh, around this city, having those conversations. Uh, because I truly believe, if you look at the 2019 race, uh, none of us would have, not, not none of us, a lot of people would not have expected that it would have gone the way that it went. Uh, and so I'm used to being an underdog. I've been fighting my entire life. And, and I think the people of Chicago are worth this fight. And so we're going to 
uh, keep doing what we're doing, bringing real solutions uh, to the people of Chicago. We have wrote out 10 very specific plans on how we change Chicago. Um, many of my colleagues have not done that. They're waiting for name recognition to get them to the runoff. Uh, and then they'll tell you what they're going to do. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in hiding the ball. I believe in telling Chicagoans what the plan is because we need a real plan for the future. Can you can you maybe point to one thing that's in one of those plans that differentiates you from the other progressives in this race? Well, if there were if there were other plans, then I could do that. But um, many folks don't have plans. But fair uh, enough. But I mean, they, but, you know, we've yeah. heard positions. We've yeah. heard statements. So so I'll 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 say this right uh, in terms of public safety, uh, you know, I don't just talk about uh, whether we, what are we going to do with cops, right? I talk a lot about making sure we're putting more money for the organizations who are doing this work on the ground, but I, I, I do it in a way that is um, a contemporary to how this city is moving. A lot of my opponents, their, plan, their plans are based on a, a older version of Chicago where street gangs rule the day. That's not how the city works anymore. And anybody who's on the ground like I am every single day knows that um, we've got very small street organizations, cliques, if you will, uh, who work in a different way than the gangs of the 90s and the 80s. Uh, and so some of these plans I've seen would have worked great in 1991 and 92, but it doesn't jive for us today. I think I said in the debate earlier this week, um, People are trying to take us back to the 90s, and the only thing in the 90s worth going back to is Chicago Bulls basketball. Like, everything else should be left in the rearview mirror. All right. I think that earned you a step into the lightning round. Okay, lightning. Yeah, so. Right. <laughs> well, we've, you know, we know you've been in, in several forums where you've had to answer yes or no. We're not going to ask you to answer yes or no. We're going to ask you to keep it brief to a couple sentences. Okay. And you'll forgive us if we give you the the hook if you've gone on too long, but let's just start with the Bears. You you know you, you mentioned the Bulls. Let's talk about sports. Um, we just learned that the Bears uh, got into the real estate market in Arlington Heights. Uh, there's no stadium there yet. Uh, what, if anything, would you do to keep the Bears in Chicago? Listen, I've been very clear on this. I, I want the Chicago Bears to play football in Chicago. Uh, however, I'm not willing to to give up everything to keep them here. Uh, what I have done uh, in Springfield just as recently as two weeks ago uh, when the Bears tried to do a little, a little draw option play uh, <laughs> down there to get some uh, possibility to get money from the state to move to Arlington Heights, I put the kibosh on that um, and put forth a, an amendment to a bill that Governor Prisker had, uh, was using to attract other entities to the state. Um, from the bears using that. And so, listen, I think we've got to be able to come to the table and have some real conversations. The problem with saying what, what you will do is I have no idea what the mayor has done to this point, and many of us don't. Um, but I, I would welcome a conversation with the McCaskey family and the organization to see what we can do moving forward um, and how the bears can be better partners in the city. I've said this for a long time. Um, and I know this was a lightning round. I'm going a little bit too over. But let me just say this. <laughs> You're um, on the edge. <laughs> the, the, the Bears moved their training camp to Bourbon A years ago and did amazing things for Olivet Nazarene University. And thank God for that. Um, but we got a university on 95th Street on the south side of Chicago called Chicago State who has all the, the room in the world. Why not camp there and give back to the economy? Like be a better partner, be a better neighbor. I've had issues with that for a long time with this team. Um, but I'm happy to have conversations about how we move forward and what the future of Soldier Field looks like for the lakefront. Would you reopen any of the closed mental health centers? All of them. All of them. Uh, so all of them plus one. So the, we had 19 at our peak. I think we need 20. Um, 
not necessarily where they were in the past, but where they are needed now based on data and analytics. Um, four of those clinics need to be 24 hours a day, 365 a year. Uh, one on the north side, one on the south side, one on the west side, and one in and around the downtown central business district. Um, they have to reopen. We've got to have real conversations about mental health and behavioral health in this city. Uh, it is a public safety issue. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but would you extend the uh, moratorium on school closings? Yeah, well, first I want to say I wrote the moratorium on school closings. Um, I know a lot of people so are... So you like it? I it, like it, it a lot. I like it a lot. card or two yeah, out there. I like it a lot. Um, listen, the, the thought process behind that was that I wanted to give the city the chance to have some runway to figure out how we're going to resource our schools instead of closing them down. The trauma that is attached to the, the schools that Mayor Emanuel will close down reverberates through my community every single day, right? And so I wanted to stop that. Unfortunately, this, the city hasn't used this runway to do much. Um, and so uh, I want to go back and look and see where we are to see what we need to do. I'm not a fan of closing schools. We got to make sure that we're giving our young people the opportunity to succeed. How about the city council? Do you support uh, the control that all the persons have in overzoning in their ward, or would you take away the automatic prerogative? So I'll say this. I, I think the mayor has made automatic prerogative this boogeyman because it distracts from what she's doing, right? Um, each one of you who live in this city live in one of the 50 wards, and you're one of 55,000 people who voted or are represented by an alder person. I think that that's an important and sacred bond we have to keep. They have to have something to say about the culture um, and what happens in their community, right? I don't think they need to be the end all and be all, but we have to have that conversation. True, what I'm what I'm advocating for though is not just automatic prerogative reform, but true city council reform, which this mayor has refused to touch. What do I mean by that? Chicago is the only large city in the in the country who's not governed by a charter. We have no city constitution. That's a problem. That allows you to do things like Meg's Field, like the parking meter deal, like NASCAR and the casino without having any accountability, right? Mm -hmm. So we need a charter. And it starts off with the state creating a charter commission, and there's a process. But we need that. Secondly, I've asked for city council reform where they get to pick their own leadership. They need a speaker of the, of the, of the council or a president of the council. Uh, and that leadership gets to pick who committee chairs are. The mayor cannot run a rough shot over the city ever again, no matter who the mayor is, if it's Lori Lightfoot or Cam Buckner. We have to give people the chance to have accountable, transparent government, and that's how we move the city forward. Uh, one of your opponents believes that this is true, but do you? Uh, is a combative nature necessary for the job of mayor? No. Um, I think the ability to be combative when necessary it's necessary in life, but oh. no, uh, I, I think I think mayors, once again, their job is to find a way to yes instead of getting stuck in no. All right, we're going to move to your last question here. I'm quoting Daniel Burnham, who told us to make no little plans. Yeah. What's your moonshot? What's the one big thing you'd like to do as part of your legacy as mayor? Well, I'm glad you said that because I talk a lot about um, Burnham uh, in my big moonshot plan, and that is to increase Chicago's population to 3 million people by the year 2030. And, mm -hmm. and by doing that, I think we deal with a lot of our economic issues. I think we continue to grow this city, and we do things that New York and L.A. can't do. We have the ability to do that. But we have to have a Burnham-type plan for the next 100 years of this city. Uh, uh, and that is a big, bold goal. 
but I believe Chicago can do it. We've always found a way to win. We've always found a way to get things done. We did it in 1871 after the fire. We did it, you know, uh, in 1901 when we decided to switch the direction of the river. Like, we're, we do this. We're Chicago. Um, and the plans may seem crazy, but um, I think that plan starts putting Chicago in the position to do what we need to do to make sure that we are together as one city and we remain indivisible. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> we always like the indivisible. What a great note to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Thank you all. beginning of the show, we asked uh, who in the audience had made up their mind about the mayoral race, so let's revisit that. Those of you who said through your applause that you might be persuadable, um, how many now have a firmer idea of who you'll vote for? All right, then let's do a straw poll here. Wait, I'm just I'm just oh, curious how many how many people changed your 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 hmm? opinion tonight? Was there any movement? Did anyone Maybe change your mind? Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, interesting. So those all right, you were leaning somewhere and it convinced you. Um, all right, then let's let's hear it, Bob, through applause. Which of the presentations did you feel were most persuasive tonight? By applause, we'll start with Chewy Garcia. And you can applaud hard, but we still know that's only one person. <laughs> Who felt most persuaded by Brandon Johnson? Cam Buckner? That seemed pretty even. It did. it did. Pretty intel. Therein lies our dilemma, right? Because yeah, yeah. exactly. only one makes it to the runoff, if we're lucky, right? Well, shall, yeah. we, shall we leave it there? All right. So thank you so much for coming out tonight. If you are still unsure how to vote, check out Indivisible Chicago's Progressive Guidelines for Chicago to compare our values to the candidates' positions you've just heard. Um, it's on the website at indivisiblechicago.com. I think there's also some handouts the at the, the uh, flyers at the back table, so grab one of those. Um, and we'll just conclude with some thank yous. We would really like to thank uh, Indivisible Chicago Alliance and the Blue Beginning Chapter, uh, audio engineer, the great John Freeberg over here. Round of applause. Katie, Katie and Tim Tutton, Michael Mills, and the terrific staff from the Hideout Inn. Tip your bartender. And Kwame back there All at right. the control. Kwame, yeah, sorry, Kwame, absolutely. WCPT's Matt Cummings, Tim Hogan, and Mark Pinsky. Our fellow event planners, Nick Rabkin and Mike Lenahan, and all the volunteers who've made tonight possible. Thank you, and good night. Thank you.